This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I am Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. And I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. We are your hosts for Downtown Lowdown. This is our ninth special COVID-19 episode, and we're recording this episode via video conferencing as we are still working remotely from our homes. So we apologize in advance for any issues with the sound quality. We're going to start this episode with a conversation with Eric Johnson, Program Coordinator of the Navigator Street Outreach Program. Eric will be providing an update on the street involved in homeless population and how they are faring during the pandemic. Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, is back, and he will give us an update on the Nova Scotia Business Labor Economic Coalition and on DHBC's latest advocacy efforts. We'll also review what businesses are up to since the state of emergency was declared back in March, and we'll finish up with some updates regarding what's open for business in Downtown Halifax and how you can stay connected with the Downtown Halifax community in this time of physical distancing. And this episode is being recorded on Monday, May 11th. The pandemic situation is still changing daily. To keep up to date, you can visit downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19 or visit novascotia.ca slash coronavirus. Now we'll start with our discussion with Eric Johnson, Program Coordinator of the Navigator Street Outreach Program. Today we are welcoming Eric Johnson back to Downtown Lowdown. Eric is the Program Coordinator for the Navigator Street Outreach Program, which provides support to motivated street-involved and homeless individuals by assisting them in securing and maintaining employment and housing through partnerships with community agencies, Downtown Halifax Business Commission, Spring Garden Area Business Association, and their business members. Welcome back to Downtown Lowdown, Eric. You've been, this is our, your third appearance on uh, on Downtown Lowdown. So first Thanks of all, how are things on the street? What are things looking like right now? Yeah, things are, um, that's a good question. It's different than uh Obviously, the whole world is different lately, um, but there's a lot of fewer people on the street, so there's not as many people panhandling, so it seems quieter, but at the same time, um, people are still getting evicted from their apartments. People are still you know, coming into homelessness. Maybe their situation where they're living is broken down, so they're back to being on the street. So I, I feel like there's less visible people uh, panhandling all the time, but there's still um, people who need help and people that that I have to that I have to try and find places to live or find a hotel or something like that for. So yeah, it's different but busy still. Yeah, and are you still uh, meeting with clients uh, on a daily basis? Usually, you meet up with them on the street, and they're usually panhandling or they're you know just walking around on the street, and you bump into them. How is it uh, now? So I guess the the guiding kind of philosophy now is changing just safety, being as safe as possible. So obviously trying to practice as much social distancing as you can with folks. Some mm-hmm. people don't, some people don't really understand the, uh, or they haven't heard of the social distancing and, and all these things. So it's a lot of education, like, Hey, no, I can't shake your hand anymore. I can't, you know, fist bump, but we have to try and keep six feet apart. Um, and, and I'm always wearing that. Well, if you could see me, I guess the podcast, but I always have a little mask mark around my face because I'm always trying to wear a mask every time I'm out talking to people. Um, my hands are dry from, <laughs> sanitizing them, sure everybody's are, and just trying to keep clean as much as I can. So, yeah, I'm still going out and talking to people. Uh, it's a lot more work on the phone, I guess, uh, and people are calling me when they can or trying to, if I don't absolutely have to go out and meet people, I just try to call them on the phone. But, you know, the same problem still exists, so a lot of people don't have phones. A lot of people don't have access to, to information, so I'm still doing that outreach part of my job where I'm going out and trying to work with folks if they're sleeping outside or if they're 
in shelters and that kind of stuff, and they don't have a way to contact them. They'll go out and just try to make contact with them. So, yeah. With, uh, right. And you mentioned uh, keeping safe and keeping your clients safe because, you know, some of the, your clients would have some immunity issues. Um, they have underlying health issues, so keeping them safe is really important. And you say that, um, you know, educating them is um one of part of your job now is educating them about the social distancing. How is that going over with them? It goes over better with some people than others, of course. Um, some people are, are just used to not, you know, most agencies have kind of no touch policies. You don't, you know, you don't want to be spreading germs even in the best of times. So you shouldn't really be shaking hands or hugging people. But some people are really used to getting close to people and they, they don't understand. Some, yeah, most people are really good at it, but of course there's always tricky folks who some people are, you just need to tell them, you know, man, we're trying to, have six feet of distance between us, trying to be safe and not spread any germs and that kind of stuff. And so most people are really good. It's just, you know, education is, is always important. And, and now more than ever, it seems that people, once they know, they, they do better usually, but some people just don't know. And so eventually, yeah. So essentially you're just trying to communicate the stuff that I've heard from public health and that we've all heard from public health to people who don't have the same access to information that we all do. Right. So some of your clients uh, do panhandle um, or were panhandling, but as you mentioned, there's not as much foot traffic on the street anymore. What are they doing now? I know that they some of them really relied on uh, that kind of income uh, to survive. So what are they? How are they surviving now? Um, people are struggling, I guess. Uh, it's you know a lot of people they would rely on the panhandling money. Um, to top up because if they're on any assistance or if they're on a uh, fixed income, for instance, they would rely on panhandling to top up their, you know, to buy food at the end of the month when the check is run out or to buy whatever they need to survive. But now, not only is there nobody panhandling, uh, there's not many people um, out for them to panhandle with to, to get money from. There's also a lot less um, soup kitchens and kind of food resources available for them. So there are some agencies that have really stepped up and, you know, Nova Scotia is doing a lot of good things and some of the soup kitchens are doing really good things, but a lot of soup kitchens, they're really heavily reliant on volunteers. And so they, so they can't serve the same people or people in the same way anymore. So that's the one thing, probably the, one of the bigger changes for me is that I'm providing a lot more um, food support for people, whether that's just giving them gift cards because with your grocery stores are so open. Um, but even people panhandling, they say to me, like, I'm just panhandling to get some money for food. You know, whereas I used to panhandle, you know, maybe just to, at the end of the month, now I'm panhandling all month long because I can't go to, you know, I can't go to a drop-in to get a sandwich every day. I can't go to certain meals, certain places on different times of the week. There are a couple still open, like I was saying, but but um, that community isn't there too, which is another big thing, is that certain people have their certain, whether it's, you know, Monday night at the Salvation Army that they would go to, but if those things aren't operating, I don't know if they're still operating or not. But uh, if, if their usual drop-ins and soup kitchens and food banks aren't open, they don't, they don't have that community and so they don't, they don't really know where else to go to right now. So it's a lot of helping people out with food and just directing them to the, the fewer, uh, soup kitchens and food banks that are open right now. Right. So it's not just physical distancing for them, it's social distancing yeah. as well. Yeah, that's definitely, it's the social isolation is, is really difficult for a lot of folks because yet, like, there's always a few folks that I think would panhandle no matter what happened in their lives because that was their community. They knew everybody on the street. You would have regular people that they would see every day when they're going to their jobs or when they're out for a walk. And now that nobody's out on the streets anymore, a lot of people lose that sense of community that they had, which is really tricky. And if they don't have a phone or if they don't have access to the internet, they don't, they don't have much community at all. And it's really, really difficult for some people. So that's, 
another part of my job that I'm really trying to do is try to check in on those people and see if they're doing okay. And some of them do have phones, which is good. Um, and so I try to call them, but sometimes people don't have phones, they don't have internet, so you just got to go, you know, knock on the door and say hi, try to stay safe. And, and, mm-hmm. yeah, and you're and still, just, and you're also trying to navigate them through the system to get to access mental health uh, resources yeah. as well. Yeah, of course, all that, yeah. all the usual stuff, always. you know, because there's always something, whether it's, it's not usually just saying hi, it's, hey, here's some food, don't forget about your doctor's appointment next week, and all mm-hmm. these things that people need help with, and um, yeah, all the normal stuff on top of this abnormal stuff, like finding food and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. So with this whole physical distancing um, new situation with the pandemic, uh, I guess uh, the shelters have been uh, really struggling to, to you know, service these clients with, you know, the physical distancing, but that's difficult. So I guess there's some, I've, we've heard about some temporary shelters set up in downtown Halifax and some of the, the hotels without naming the hotels because of privacy issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, possibly one of the best things to come out of the, the um, social distancing and the COVID crisis has been some private organizations like hotels have really stepped up and, and they're getting funding, a lot of funding from the federal government for this, but if you go to a shelter, if you see some of the, the pop-up shelters that they had when there's a bunch of people in a gym or if it's a bunch of people in a shelter, it's not safe. And and we're really seeing the the public health side of housing and how if we could get people into their individual apartments and we get people out of um, congregate living situations like shelters, um, it's a lot healthier for everybody involved. It's healthier for the staff. It's healthier for the people who... who um, who are staying there, it's healthier for the general community because there's less transition from person to person if they're just like one buck over versus ideally, you know, it would be great to put them all in their own houses, but we know that there's a, a shortage of rental accommodations. So with the all the ho- the hotels being mostly empty, from what I understand from this crisis, the government was able to block, get blocks of rooms and put people from shelters into hotels. So that means they don't have to share a bathroom with people. They usually get the meal provided to them and they can maintain safe social distancing while respecting their dignity and their, and their privacy. So it's a really, like I say, barring giving people their own apartment, which I think is the long-term goal, getting people into hotels is, is a really good solution. So yeah, a lot of the downtown hotels have really stepped up and said, okay, we want to do our part. We want to help people out. And from what I've seen, they're working, you know, of course there's always going to be a few hiccups along the way, but from what I've seen, it's working really well and, and everybody, who, most of the people who go there are really enjoying it and it's preventing, I think, a lot of negative health outcomes that could have happened if we would have just left people, you know, 50 people in a shelter, 40 people in a shelter and so it's kind of the best case scenario in my opinion. So it's, yeah, really working out for your clients and the hotels have fewer empty rooms and, uh, you know, it's better for, for public health. Yeah. So that's great. I think, yeah, at least some, some good is coming out of this situation. Um, so what is the best way for people to help out? Um, like, are there various organizations that uh, people can donate to or volunteer with, uh, safely, uh, that would help out, um, you know, street involved, the street involved population? Yeah, well, I think it's it's always good to check in on people. So if you see people who are panhandling, you know, make sure you maintain a safe social distance, but just check in with them, see how they're doing. And like I was saying, a lot of people directly need um, food. So whether you can give them some food or see if they want, you know, 
to the same city block for them or something like that, or if they need a gift card or something like that, or just to see what else they need. Cause sometimes people don't have access to the things that they, that they did before, but it's, it's, it's unknown to me. You know, sometimes you don't know what people need until you talk to them. So I always encourage that, but also there's a lot of different organizations that I think are still, they're still trying to feed people. So I know in the North end, the Burnham Street, uh, Burnham Street mission has mm-hmm. really been coordinating a lot of meals. Um, for different people and then different, uh, Souls Harbor and Hope Cottage. Um, so both of them are in the North End too, but they are, are still continuing to give meals to people. So I imagine that they still need lots of volunteers. Um, yeah. And just checking with your local, you know, whatever agencies that are, that are around in the downtown area. I know a few of them are kind of putting a hold on it, but I think Brenda Street Mission is probably the best, the best place to, to help out with because they're facilitating a lot of the meals for the different shelters and uh, they're always going to have volunteers and right. stuff like that. And of course those soup kitchens that are still operating would have safety protocols so mm-hmm. that if you, if people do want to volunteer, they would remain safe um, yeah. and healthy yeah. while doing so. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Eric, uh, for your time and talking to us about, you know, some of the challenges on the street. Um, I hope you stay safe out there and, yeah. uh, Keep uh, fighting the good fight. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's, it's great to talk to you guys. That was Eric Johnson, Program Coordinator, Navigator Street Outreach Program. You can learn more about the program by listening to Episode 5 of Downtown Lowdown at downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast, or you can go to navigatorstreetoutreach.ca. We now have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, who will be giving us an update on the activities of the Nova Scotia Business Labor Economic Coalition, of which DHBC is an active member, and also DHBC's advocacy efforts. So, Paul, do you have something for us? I do. Uh, Last week was a pretty busy, uh, perhaps one might even say exciting week uh, for the group. So um, on Wednesday, we had a presentation from uh, Dr. Strang. It was the first time that uh, Dr. Strang, who, of course, everybody is now uh, very well familiar with uh, from his uh, his, uh, couple times a week uh, uh, video conference uh, sessions with the premier, uh, he came and presented to our group. And um, he's the uh, chief medical officer, just so for those people who, those three people that may not know who he is in the province. Exactly. Yes. Not to be confused with Dr. Strange, No. Um, but, uh, but, but uh, a very important and high profile person at the moment. So he's obviously working very closely with the premier in terms of the, the public health um, uh, directors that are coming from the province. Um, but those are closely tied with, with the economic realities and, and the future of the province as well. And so, Certainly what they're trying to do is trying to uh, balance those two priorities, keeping people safe, uh, but also, you know, with, with the minimal damage and disruption to the economy uh, as possible. And so um, a lot of other provinces at this point have kind of put together what their reopening strategies and plans look like. Uh, Nova Scotia's hasn't uh, fully been developed yet, uh, but uh, we had a sneak peek last Wednesday. Uh, really, the uh, probably plan is too strong of a word. It's really kind of the, the framework uh, that the province is looking at, at reopening the province. Um, and even reopening is, is a little bit of a misnomer and uh, that the strategy in Nova Scotia was a little bit different than many other provinces. Uh, certainly, there were businesses that were forced to close here, but, but actually uh, far fewer uh, than in other provinces. So a good example of that is, is retail. Generally, you know, a lot of retailers have closed, uh, but there was never a requirement for them to do so. Uh, just many of them felt it was it was safer to do that. You know, and, and in fact, the drop in business uh, maybe made, made economic sense for them to close their doors for a while. Uh, but we had fewer closures than, than a lot of other provinces. So, you know, when we're talking about reopening, it's, it's really about, you know, what is 
you know, what does the new normal look like when we can actually kind of go back out again, hopefully dine in restaurants, hopefully uh, shopping businesses, uh, potentially, you know, going back to our offices and, and work. So um, what the, uh, what Dr. Strang shared with us on Wednesday and what he shared broadly with the province uh, last Friday was really kind of a, a broad framework for what this, what this reopening slash reawakening um program looks like and essentially there's a there's there's five phases that they've identified uh, with with phase five being everything's kind of back to normal phase five is probably only going to happen when there's a vaccine uh, and and kind of all of the all the health and safety concerns around uh, COVID-19 are are abated um, and right now we're I should say we're in phase zero so they say it's a five-phase plan but one of those phases is phase zero phase zero. So it's really a six phase plan, I guess. But um, so there was just kind of a general framework about what each of those phases looks like. Um, and what's happening right now is is sector consultation. So what was kind of interesting, this may be just a, bit, a little bit, bit of an editorial aside, but it was interesting. Um, uh, on Wednesday, Dr. Strang presented to the province. Um, and then by Wednesday night, media sources had obtained you know copies of the slide deck that he shared with us, which again, was nothing really top secret. He was just sharing it with uh, with the NSBLEC group uh, prior to sharing it with the, with the broad public. Yeah, the framework wasn't really detailed, and it didn't include any dates or anything, did it? No, it was just a, a broad framework, and, and the, mm. the sense was that the, is that the day before, the Premier had said that they were engaging in sector consultation. And so what was interesting is, is that there was kind of this, I guess, maybe a semi-private presentation, although the NSBLEC you know, represents, you know, well over uh, 150 different uh, associations and organizations. We represent over 200,000 employees in the province. So it's, it's a pretty broad uh, group. Uh, but there was a, a bit of social media pushback from people that were that seemed to be upset that that somehow there was this secret document being uh, being shown to uh, to some of the, the business and, and labor and institutional sector in advance. So just from a communication standpoint, it was kind of interesting to see some of the. Uh, Perhaps some of the anger slash annoyance with that, but anyway, regardless, it was it was sector consultation uh, which the premier had promised, and essentially what's happening now is the framework is out there. Uh, what the province is looking to do is they're looking for uh, broad sector consultation. So, for instance, you know, if you're a restaurant, you can look at those 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 five phases and try to start preparing a plan about how does your particular restaurant deal with those different phases. What are the changes that you need to make in your operation? Uh, according to whatever phase we're in, um, and what's important with that with that phased approach is that it's you know it is meant to be linear. It's meant to be you know more permissive as it goes along. But there's going to be a reassessment along the way. So let's say we're in phase two, uh, and suddenly we see you know again uh, a second wave of COVID or or another spike in the province. Um, then what we may find is that we're, we're actually moving back to phase one, and there may be a new state of emergency called. So it's it's all a bit a bit movable. And it's going to be assessed uh, as we go along, and so it's it's really you know, I think what the framework is meant to do is just kind of say, here's the five different phases that we can be in at any given time over the next couple of months and years, frankly. Um, and really, we need businesses need to have some sort of plan in place to respond to how can your business operate um, during those phases. And so, obviously, it's, it's a lot, that's a lot of pressure to put on an individual business to figure out what how they can run their business during all those phases. And so really what's happening at this point is uh, certainly if, if your business is part of an association, specifically one that deals specifically with your kind of business. So if you're a restaurant or you're a member of the Restaurant Association of Canada, um, you know, if you're a retailer, are you part of the retail council? Um, you know, obviously downtown members are all part of downtown Halifax Business Commission. So we're an association that can speak in their behalf, but we don't necessarily have, you know, expertise on the spa industry versus the clothing industry. And so it can be very detailed and there will be very different rules, for instance, uh, for a spa than for a retailer, than for a restaurant. And so there's a lot of details uh, that need to be filled in with this framework. 
Uh, so what the province is really encouraging is they want to hear from businesses, uh, particularly through their associations, but if you don't have an association, then directly from the business, uh, about how you plan to operate safely uh, during this 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 five or six phase process. So that's really just starting now. So there is a little bit of time to work on this uh, because what we're looking at before we even enter into phase one is the province is looking for 18 days where there's either low or no daily cases uh, of COVID-19. And that will kind of trigger uh, moving into this phase one, which really is kind of the phase where we're looking at kind of what we're, again, what they're calling kind of reopening, a general reopening of, of things. Uh, but again, that won't be reopening for every single type of business, and there'll be different requirements for, for different businesses. So um, I think with a lot of this, we're kind of building the airplane as we're flying it. So at this point, it's really about, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're concerned about, you know, how your business can operate safely, uh, you really should be in touch with your individual sector association. Or if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to the Business Commission. Uh, and there are some, uh, some good online resources as well. Uh, I know the Chamber of Commerce has just put out some something on their website, which talks kind of generally about how businesses can reopen safely. Uh, and there's also the, the Canadian Occupational Health and Safety um, Board has put out a number of different sector-specific um, uh, kind of sheets and, and guidelines about how to operate safely, you know, if you're in an office environment or a, a retail environment or a restaurant environment. Uh, so, again, some of those may be, you know, general, but they give a, a good idea about kind of the things that you should be looking for. Uh, and ultimately, it is the responsibility of every business owner to operate a, you know, a, a safe environment uh, for their employees. So that standard obviously is going to be a lot higher. Uh, and the other piece that uh, I think is probably worth mentioning is, you know, the idea about, about safe social distancing. Uh, that's probably going to be with us for a long, long time, uh, certainly over the course of the next year, I would say, and, and perhaps even longer. So, you know, probably all these, you know, all these plans are, are going to need to figure out, you know, how to do that safely and effectively. For some businesses, that's not a huge problem. Uh, certainly for other businesses, you think about like barbers or massage therapists, um, that's going to be something very different and there needs to be a very specific plan for those kinds of businesses. So, so that's where we are at this point in time. Uh, things are, are changing rapidly, but really I think with the, what we're in now is the, is the, Information uh, phase in the province has been extremely open about wanting to receive uh, information and feedback from businesses. Previously, it was on the economic aid plans, but right now it's about you know how businesses can uh, can start to get back into operating uh, on a normal basis. So uh, that's where we are, and hopefully we'll uh, they'll get some good information and be able to release uh, kind of a more detailed uh, plan from this framework. Right. You say this is it's moving quickly, but really it's a very slow staged approach uh, to reopening. Yes, absolutely. Because it could take two to three years until a vaccine is actually, you know, developed and distributed and used widely. Right. That's the that's the big unknown, I think, for that. Yeah. And that's what they're determining. Phase five won't really happen until until that vaccine uh, uh, is, is discovered. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that may take a while. That may take a while. And that presentation, um, actually, Dr. Strang presented that last Friday at the uh, provincial press conference. So people can actually access that presentation on their YouTube channel. So the Nova Scotia government uh, YouTube channel where uh, Dr. Strang presented the whole uh, framework uh, for the reopening. So uh, people can go to YouTube and uh, watch that presentation. That was Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He was giving us an update on the activities of the Nova Scotia Business Labor Economic Coalition and DHBC's advocacy efforts. Downtown Halifax Business Commission is committed to providing the latest information to Downtown Halifax members to help business through these uncertain times. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, DHBC is following the directors of the Nova Scotia Health Authority and are asking businesses in downtown Halifax to do the same. There hasn't been any new directives this week, 
But for the past updates, visit our main business COVID resource page at downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19 to view full notices and other recently lifted restrictions from the Nova Scotia government. Visit novascotia.ca slash coronavirus slash hashtag alerts. As always, DHVC is asking the public to help support businesses in downtown Halifax if you can, while staying safe and adhering to provincial public health orders by doing the following. Order takeout via phone or online as much as you normally would or more if you are financially able to. Order takeout. Many restaurants are offering discounts on takeout. Many restaurants are offering free delivery. Purchase gift cards now to use later. Most retailers have an online retail store. Shop online whenever possible. Some retailers are offering free delivery. Some businesses are offering online classes and workshops to remain connected to the community. Again, to view what's open in downtown Halifax, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash open. I'd like to take this moment to remind listeners that we are recording this episode on Monday, May 11th, 2020. And now we have updates on business from Alana. Go ahead, Alana. Hi, everyone. I'm going to start with an update on what's open in downtown Halifax and finish with a quick overview of some ways to stay virtually connected with your downtown Halifax community. First, let's talk about what's open in downtown Halifax. Every week, there are more businesses reopening for business in downtown Halifax, which is super exciting. Lot 6 Bar and Restaurant announced that they are coming back and serving takeout sometime the week of May 11th. They have yet to announce details, but once they do, they'll be sharing them on their social channels. Follow at Lot6Bar on Instagram to keep up to date. The Press Gang Restaurant and Oyster Bar also announced that they will be opening their doors again the week of May 11th with takeout. So make sure to follow at the Press Gang HFX to keep up to date on their news. Last week, I told you that the Bitter End and Loose Cannon are doing grocery packages for delivery and pickup. They have expanded that service now to include food kits that you can order for pickup or delivery. The food kits include a date night charcuterie, a nacho kit, and family fun pizza kits. They range in price from $20 to $25, and you can add beer, wine, and cider to your order. Visit bitterend.ca or theloosecannon.ca for more information and order details. Hopscotch Dinner Club by Chives Canadian Bistro is now up and taking orders for curbside pickup. They're offering different selections of snacks each week with an option to order items individually, or you can eat the whole menu. Visit hopscotchdinnerclub.com for more information. And Dine Together at Home is a new initiative by Chef Colin Bevington and Khalid Al-Nezrala. They have partnered with McKelvey's Restaurant and Alex McLean of East Coast Lifestyle to create a meal program with all proceeds going directly to Feed Nova Scotia. You can learn more about this program by following at Dine Together Halifax. And finally, Inside Optometry has launched their online shop. You can now order contact lenses, dry eye products, accessories, gift cards, and stylish sunglasses from their online store. Purchases can be picked up contact-free from their office on Brunswick Street, or they can ship anywhere in Canada. Visit at Inside Optometry on Instagram for more information. And you can view our full list of businesses that are open and open online at downtownhalifax.ca slash open. And if you're a business in downtown Halifax and you would like to be included in our What's Open page, or you have updates to your services, email communications at downtownhalifax.ca. And finally, if you're looking for ways to keep connected and engaged with your downtown Halifax community in this age of physical distancing, many businesses and organizations are offering virtual programming, events, and more to keep you engaged. We have a list on our website at downtownhalifax.ca slash connect. But here are a few ideas for the week of May 11th. Have you tuned in to Off the Leash with Jeremy Webb yet? Neptune Theatre's art director has a live Facebook show Tuesdays to Friday nights at 8.30 p.m. 
Jeremy interviews a variety of people that are involved in the theater community in Halifax and beyond. This week's guests include local photographer Stu Metz, local actors Bill Carr and Martha Irving, and more. Visit at Neptune Theater on Facebook for more information and to watch the shows. It's Merlin Macaw's Hatch Day. Merlin is, of course, the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic's beloved rainbow macaw, and he is celebrating his 18th Hatch Day on Friday, May 15th. You can join Merlin and his human mom, Joanna, for a special at-home e-celebration event for his bird day. I did not make that up. Send the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic best wishes or creative artwork for Merlin. Just tag your artwork with hashtag Merlin Macaw on social, and they will add it to a special book they are making for Merlin. Visit at Maritime Museum on Facebook for more information. The Art Gallery of Nova Scotia started Studio from Home, presented by Scotia Bank. Studio from Home is a fun way for all ages to connect through art with engaging art activities that you can do at home with everyday objects. You can visit artgalleryofnovascotia.ca slash studiofromhome or at artgalleryns on Instagram for more info. And World Tea House has Tea Time, Tuesdays to Fridays from 1 to 3 p.m. You can log on to teatime.worldteahouse.ca and join Philip Holmans, the owner, as he explores different teas, how to make them, and more. Visit at World Tea House on Instagram to join. To check out more virtual events and programming downtown Halifax, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash connect. And if you are a business or organization in downtown Halifax that is offering virtual experiences or programming, let us know by emailing communications at downtownhalifax.ca. And that's it for me this week. And that concludes our special COVID-19 episode recorded on May 11, 2020. For more information, visit downtownhalifax.ca. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.